From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony. So glad that you are with us on this Friday afternoon, a very eventful week in Washington, D.C. that we are going to talk about today. Before we do, a couple things I want to make sure you are aware of. You can find this program and every program at TonyPerkins.com. Also, all resources referenced during the program today, you will be able to find at TonyPerkins.com. Encourage you to download the Stand Firm app wherever you get your apps. Type in Stand Firm. That'll make this program available to you on your phone as well as all of the other Family Research Council resources. Also, an exciting event next week. FRC and FRC Action will be hosting the inaugural Pray, Vote, Stand Summit at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. You and thousands of your friends can be together for that exciting event. Go to prayvotestand.org to sign up. You'll be able to participate virtually as well as in person. Encourage you to be part of that. Now, the headlines for the week. Last night, just hours before the midnight deadline, President Biden signed into law a short-term spending bill to keep the U.S. federal government running through December 3rd. The stopgap measure was approved in the Senate 65 to 35 and shortly afterwards passed the House 254 to 175. It does not include any provision to raise the nation's debt ceiling as the Democrats had wanted to do. So we have a little more than two weeks to prevent the first ever default for America. In addition, there's the three and a half trillion dollar social spending package, which we've been told is more like four point three trillion now with moderate Democrat Joe Manchin saying he's willing to work on a reconciliation bill with a much smaller one and a half trillion dollar price tag. What does it mean for the majority Democrats? Well, with me now to talk about this and more is Congressman Buddy Carter, who is a member of the House Budget Committee and a member of the GOP Doctors Caucus. He represents the 1st Congressional District of Georgia. Congressman Carter, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you for having me. Well, what's your take on what's happening with all of this spending in Washington, D.C. this week? Well, first of all, this is nothing more than a cradle-to-grave government dependency that's being created by the Democrats. And, you know, we've got to stop this insanity, all this spending. We've got to cut up the credit cards here in Washington, D.C. We've got to stop printing money and, and stop saddling future generations with this enormous debt. And, and we've got to stop raising taxes. Keep in mind, when you talk about this $4.3 trillion socialist wish list, that they're also going to be raising taxes by $3 trillion. Joe Biden's right. He's going to be able to pay for it. He's going to pay for it on the backs of the taxpayers. That's exactly what he's going to do. And it's only going to serve to embolden our enemies, the Taliban, the China, Russia, India, that uh, Iran, excuse me, that's what's going to happen. And, and that's who's going to benefit from all this. We, this is total chaos. It's financial insanity. 
Now, we hear about this October 18 deadline, and Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said that's the deadline that lawmakers have to prevent a first-ever default. Now, we're familiar with the federal government shutting down. We've been through that. It didn't seem to have any long-term impact. Is that what we're facing? Again, another potential federal government shutdown, or is it something more than that? Well, it is more than that. Uh, if the debt ceiling is not taken care of, if it's not extended or raised, then we're going to default. And, and the United States government has not ever defaulted on, on the money that is owed here. There is enough money. And, and we have an, th this is nothing more than a ploy by the by the Democrats in order to get their four point three trillion dollar socialist wish list through. We've got enough to, to cover the first seven months of the Biden administration and of the commitments from the Trump administration, but we don't have enough to cover their $4.3 trillion spending bill. That's what's important to note. But it would be a first if we don't do something with the, if the Democrats don't do something with the debt ceiling, it would be the first time that we've defaulted. And of course, that's that, that would be horrible for the United States and ruin our credit rating and cost us it would cost us in the future. It would be an awful scenario. I can tell you that. And I want to know if you can explain a little bit more what that means, because it's something that I don't think most of us understand. Like in our personal lives, we might have an idea of what it means if we defaulted on a loan. But what does it mean if the U.S. government defaults and doesn't make its payments? Well, it means that our securities, what we use as collateral, uh, will no longer be any good. And, and, and certainly th that would be a first, as I say, for the United States. And it, 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 look, there's no excuse why this should be happening. I mean, the, the debt ceiling, the Democrats, they can, re they can solve this. They can solve it without the Republicans' help. They don't need us. Mitch McConnell has made that clear in, in the Senate that the Democrats can do this. And if they're going to do this, they need to do it so that this never happens again and that, that we are not faced with this kind of situation. Is there a scenario where in the future where we aren't um, consistently almost on a schedule raising the debt ceiling just to keep operations going? There is, and, and there's been a lot of talk about that. There, there's, you know, the debt ceiling was put into place to, to kind of force us to have some financial responsibility. Mm -hmm. But all we've done is just simply to, to, to raise the debt ceiling or to extend it to a later date, and uh, you know, so it's not really achieving the purpose that it was originally set up for. So there has been a lot of talk about just doing away with the debt ceiling, and and you know. That would be awful in itself if we did away with it, because then there would be no reason to uh, for a lot of this, the spend happy Democrats and, and spend happy socialists. There would be no reason for them to curtail their spending at all. Of course, they're ignoring it anyway. So what difference does it make? Well, let's talk about the other spending conflict that's happening right now in Washington, D.C. We know that the Senate has already passed a infra an infrastructure bill, the so-called bipartisan infrastructure bill, one and a half billion dollars. There's also this uh, reconciliation package. It's somewhere between three and a half trillion and four point three trillion. The progressives are really interested in getting this additional four trillion or so passed 
passed before they vote for the infrastructure package. Tell us what's going on there and how you think this is going to be resolved. Well, how it's going to be resolved is going to be up to the Democrats. But you are correct. The, the Senate has passed what is a uh, you hear all kind of figures, 1.1, 1.2. But they have passed a bipartisan infrastructure bill that for the most part is what is for paying for what we would mostly consider to be traditional infrastructure. That is roads, bridges, airports, seaports, broadband. And, you know, I've said that I'm even willing to extend that a little bit further to include wastewater and safe drinking water and and and, and our electrical grid, making sure that we have a resiliency on that. I could extend the definition of of infrastructure to include those things. But even in that bipartisan bill that was passed by the Senate, only about 56 percent of it is is really for what we would consider to be the traditional infrastructure bill. Now, the 3.5 or 4.3 trillion dollar socialist wish list, that is nothing but but socialist programs. That is nothing but progressive priorities. It, it, It is not anybody's definition of infrastructure. Now, they may call it human infrastructure, but it's not that. It's free college, free uh, free childcare, free everything. And it's only going to turn the American dream into a socialist nightmare. This is ridiculous what they are proposing here. And I need to warn you about this as well. Right now, the number that they're citing, 4.3 trillion, let's use that one. Now they're saying, well, we think we can get it down to 1.5 trillion. Well, even if they do that, that it, it, that's just smoke and mirrors. Essentially, what they're doing is they're putting the same programs into place, but just backing up the, the stop date on them. And, and that's no good whatsoever. They're going to still end up spending just as much money. Uh, even if they say it's only 1.5 trillion, if they keep all the programs in place that they have in there now, they'll still be spending that 4.3 trillion dollars. Is that your way of saying that you think the progressive uh, version of this bill is inevitable? Well, it, you know, if the, if it comes to fruition, uh, there's going to have to be a lower number that's cited. So, you know, the, the progressives are saying, oh, we're willing to compromise. Well, I, I, I just think that's theatrics. I just think that's politics that they're playing there. Whereas, you know, you got Joe Manchin, you got Kirsten Cinema, and they're trying to get them to give them a number. Supposedly Manchin has said 1.5. I haven't heard anything out of Kirsten, so I don't know that, that she's got a number or if she has a number in mind. But I will tell you, this is dangerous for America. This is nothing more than a socialist wish list. This is going to turn the American dream into a, a socialist nightmare. This is going to come back to haunt us. We have to stop this insanity, this financial insanity. We've got to stop spending money and printing money. We've got to stop saddling future generations with, with this enormous debt. And we've got to stop raising taxes. The president says, oh, it's going to be on the upper income. Who's going to pay this? No. It's going to be on the middle class and the lower class. They're going to end up paying this. It's causing inflation. And what is inflation? Inflation is nothing more than a tax. And who does it hurt most? It hurts the middle class and the lower class most.
But President Biden did assure us that spending this additional three and a half trillion would actually lower inflation. I don't know how many people are buying that, but we have received that promise. Uh, the polling indicates that the public doesn't really believe that. Now, I want to change subjects with you uh, briefly because you joined you and several of your colleagues wrote a letter to the Biden administration, to President Biden this week uh, about his plan to fire essentially health care workers who do not get the COVID vaccine. And your concerns are that we're not actually going to become healthier by removing uh, people who could spread the virus, but that we're going to become less healthy by removing critical health care workers from the system. Tell us more about what your concern is. Well, my concern is just that there are going to be health care workers who are going to be fired or who are going to just quit. Look, six months ago, there were our heroes. Now, they're running the risk of being fired. How much sense does that make? They're still our heroes. We still need them protecting our citizens. This is the most, this dictator Biden, that, that he's trying to mandate the people that you must get the vaccine. What about those illegal immigrants coming across that border? They're unvaccinated. They're untested. Yet they're coming into the country. Yet he's telling people here in America that unless you get a vaccine, you're going to lose your job. That is simply ridiculous. The decision to get a vaccine should be a decision made by you and your physician, you and your healthcare professional, you and your family, not between you and the government. Look, I'm a strong advocate for the vaccine. I went through the clinical trials myself. I've had the booster shot myself. And I think it is safe and effective. But I am respectful of Americans who, for whatever reason, don't want to get the vaccine. I wish they would. I hope they do. It is safe and Effective, but it's the decision between them and their physician, between them and their pharmacist, them and their family, not between them and the government. Congressman Buddy Carter, really appreciate your time. We do got to go, but we'll look forward to talking to you next time. Appreciate it very much. Thank you very much. And coming up, we are going to continue this conversation. Uh, we mentioned Senator Joe Manchin, more about him and why he has become such a critical figure in the budget debates on the Hill. We'll talk about it coming up after the break. With tech censorship on the rise, we've increasingly seen the cancellation of conservatives and Christians. At Family Research Council, we want to be proactive about making sure big tech doesn't completely silence us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, if we are canceled, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone by signing up for our text alerts. Just text STAND to 67742. Again, text STAND to 67742. And FRC will send you special alerts on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for what's right and keep you connected with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Join us for FRC and FRC Action's inaugural Pray Vote Stand Summit. In light of the growing opposition our culture has expressed against biblical principles and to the truth of God's Word, we've launched Pray Vote Stand Summit to equip and encourage Christians to respond to this opposition from a biblical worldview. We will address issues such as protecting the unborn, the importance of the nuclear family, domestic and international religious liberty, 
developments in our nation's education system, and more. We see the need for the restoration of a biblical foundation in our nation and the necessity to equip Christians to effectively engage the culture and understand current events through a biblical lens. Join us at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia from October 6th through the 8th for the Pray Vote Stand Summit. Register online at prayvotestand.org slash summit or by calling 877-372-2808. More than ever before, Christians need to be grounded in the truth of God's word and be prepared to articulate them in a winsome manner. That is why Family Research Council has launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. By applying the Bible and the historical teachings of the church to a wide range of relevant issues, including voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality, the experts at the center have provided resources to help Christians live by a biblical worldview. To understand why scripture must be authoritative and to equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. Access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series at frc.org worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including their latest blogs, op-eds, interviews, and publications, sign up at frc.org subscriptions. Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony. So glad that you are with us. Moderate Democrat Senator Joe Manchin is refusing to back President Biden's massive $3.5 trillion spending bill unless it includes the Hyde Amendment, which prohibits federal funding for abortion. He told National Review on Wednesday evening that the social spending package is dead on arrival if it doesn't include the pro-life provision. Which, had its, which has had bipartisan support for more than four decades, including, once upon a time, President Biden. And in a divided 50-50 Senate, those words mean something, or do they? Well, with me now to talk about the latest developments is Connor Semmelsberger, FRC's Federal Affairs Director for Life and Human Dignity. Connor, welcome back to Washington Watch. It's great to be on with you today. Well, before we get into Senator Manchin's comments, remind people why the Hyde Amendment is so important. Yeah, the Hyde Amendment is so important because in 1976, this this provision was put in place to say no taxpayer funds will pay for elective abortions in our country. And that principle not only was established then, but then has been carried out for the, the next 45 years it, plus. And so this is really an important uh, principle that Congress has uh, continued to push every single year, regardless of party, Democrats and Republicans alike. And right now, this principle of not using our taxpayer dollars for abortions is under threat. Now, going back to Senator Manchin's on the record now support of the Hyde Amendment that he gave to the uh, to National Review this week, do you think we can take him at his word on this? That is the question. Um, but really hearing this from Joe Manchin, not just once, not just twice, but several times over the last couple months, reiterating his support for the Hyde Amendment, I, I think we can take him at his word that he intends uh, to push for tax protections against taxpayer funding of abortion. But we can't let him off the hook just easily because when a push comes to shove, it'll be somebody just like Joe Manchin that will need to take the stand to say, I will not support one trillion, two trillion, three trillion, regardless of the final spending number. 
I won't accept any of this spending, uh, federal spending, if it funds abortions. We've had other senators like Bob Casey from Pennsylvania and Tim Kaine say that they're pro-life, even allude to or vote for throwaway votes uh, that protect taxpayer funding for abortion. But when push comes to shove, a lot of those members and senators uh, aren't there. They aren't there to show up and cast their vote. So far, Joe Manchin has been that one member, that one member of the Senate that has done so. But again, we can't let him off the hook until uh, that final bill is in front of him and he makes that final vote. And because the Senate is tied 50-50, one vote means a lot. Now, of course, these comments from Senator Manchin are very encouraging to those of us in the pro-life community. But I'm curious, do you think that this is a conviction of Senator Manchin's or is this a position he feels he needs to take politically? It's probably a little bit of both. Uh, he is uh, a, a Catholic, uh, like our, our President Biden, uh, but he has been one that has, uh, over the years, um, as governor of West Virginia and now as a senator, um, stood up for, for the unborn. Uh, not to the degree a lot of our pro-life champions have, but has, has those convictions. But at the same time, it's probably a lot of what he's hearing from uh, his own uh, constituency in West Virginia. We know the, the people of West Virginia to be very pro-life. Uh, they recently enacted uh, an own change to their uh, state constitution saying that they would prohibit taxpayer funding for abortions in the state of West Virginia. So I think it's, it's a, a degree of both uh, a personal conviction, but really just reading his constituency that truly uh, they do not want him uh, opening up the door for millions and, and now billions uh, of taxpayer funds for abortions. Now, Senator Manchin really has drawn the ire of all the progressives in his party, both in the Senate and in the House. Do you think he's doing this as a negotiation tactic? Is there something he's trying to get? That seems to be the case. We saw this actually a recent example back in February, the last time uh, this U.S. Congress used the reconciliation process to pass an, an, another, a fifth COVID package back in February. And that was exactly what happened. He, he sort of sat on the middle. And at the end, it was him who held up the uh, Senate vote for, I think, six, seven hours on one single vote because he wanted to lower uh, the unemployment insurance that was going out. So it worked for him once back in February. So it, it could be a tactic he's taking again. Um, but but with so much at play um, and so much of the, the progressives like Bernie Sanders going after him time and time again, I think he feels even more emboldened this time, not just to get one or two small political victories, but actually stand up against this radicalism um, of this tax and spending spree that the Bernies and the progressive caucus in the House have been beating him over the head with over the last several months. Well, what's interesting about Senator Manchin right now is he has drawn a line in the sand not on one big issue, but on two big issues simultaneously. And he seems to be in charge of both issues. One is the Hyde Amendment, and the other is the size of the spending package in the reconciliation bill. And he's come out this week saying no more than one and a half trillion. And of course, the progressives in his party are looking for three and a half trillion um, or, or even more than that. Do you think he's going to be able to hold both of these lines uh, simultaneously? See, and that is the question of the day, Joseph. He did really draw two lines in the sand. Us at FRC and the pro-lifers around the country hold the Hyde Amendment to be the most important. While we don't want uh, a $3.5 trillion spending package to go out the door, the thing that is essential is to stand behind the Hyde Amendment. Uh, because if there's only $1.5 trillion or $3.5 trillion, but we have ensured that none of this taxpayer funds will go to abortion, those are direct uh, policies that will save lives. The Hyde Amendment itself over the last 40 years 
years is credited to saving at least 2 million lives. And so when we talk about real life like this, the Hyde Amendment and taxpayer funding for abortion is the more important issue that we must push Joe Manchin to stand behind. Again, while inflation is bad, while taxing and, and taxing and taxing our American families is bad, there's nothing more precious than protecting unborn life in our country. Now, Connor, there are some uh, this does recall some memories of the Obamacare debate back when the margins were so tight uh, in the Democratic majorities uh, during the Obama administration and the pro-life caucus that really was a caucus at that point in the Democratic Party was trying to hold the line on some abortion issues and ultimately uh, the concessions that they got were really not satisfactory to the pro-life com- community. Ev- essentially, they caved. Is there any concern that eventually there's going to be like political cover <laughs> received, but not something that's substantive? Yep, that's exactly what we're uh, looking into to ensure that what happened in 2010, opening the door for taxpayer funding in abortion through the pro-life Democrats voting for it, we're hoping to ensure that that does not happen again this time around. Con- Connor Semmelsberger, really appreciate you being with us and tracking this uh, really interesting subplot in D.C. this week. Thanks for your time. It's a pleasure. Now, coming up, a slightly different subject. U.S. service members are being threatened with dishonorable discharge if they don't get the COVID shot. And some are taking the government to court. What's that going to look like? We'll talk about it right after the break. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets, and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Have you ever tried to read the Bible daily? but struggled to get in a groove? It can be hard, especially if you don't know where to start or how to understand and apply what you've read. Or maybe it's just that doing it alone has made it too easy to give up. Well, let me encourage you. You don't have to do this daily discipline alone. You can join Family Research Council's Stand on the Word two-year Bible reading plan. God's Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread, because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. That is why we want to read the Bible daily, and we'd love for you to join us so we can stay grounded in God's truth and grow closer to God together. Our hope is that this plan will help you be transformed by God's Word, by reading and hearing it daily. Sign up to get the daily passages and questions today by visiting frc.org Bible. That's frc.org Bible. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony. Glad that you have joined us today. A U.S. Air Force reservist who has faithfully served his country for 29 years is scheduled to retire with full honors 
on this year on December 1st. But if he doesn't get the mandated COVID shot, he'll face a dishonorable discharge. And that punishment awaits tens of thousands of U.S. service members, even those who already had COVID, which is why legal groups like Liberty Council have been bombarded with hundreds of calls for help. And it's also why lawsuits are now being filed to challenge the mandate. With me now to talk about the legal battles that are presently making their way through the courts is Roger Gannam, Vice President of Legal Affairs at Liberty Council. Roger, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Well, tell us quickly about this reservist who on the verge of retirement is about to be dishonorably discharged. Well, like so many of our service members, uh, this reservist is facing a mandate to uh, take a COVID shot uh, or be dishonorably discharged. And uh, many uh, service members are seeking uh, exemptions from these shots for various reasons, medical or religious, uh, but many who are seeking religious exemptions uh, are being denied or are having so many obstacles thrown up before them that it makes it practically impossible to, to get the exemption. And so facing dishonorable discharge, it's not just like losing your job. Uh, it's like losing your job with a, with a criminal conviction or, or something that, that makes you almost unemployable uh, after you get out of the service. And that's really a, a huge insult to uh, a faithful service member uh, who is, as you mentioned, due to retire with full honors in, uh, in just a, a month or so. Now, he had submitted, I understand, a request for religious exemption. What was the response that he received to that? Well, the response was bullying and, and pushback. Uh, and again, this is this is happening to to thousands of service members throughout the country. Um, they're being told they're they're not team players. They're being told that uh, that they aren't uh, up to the task or, or or faithfully serving their country by requesting an exemption from a uh, from a shot that that shouldn't be imposed on military members in the first place because its legal status is not to the point where uh, we should be uh, requiring our military uh, service service members to take it. Uh, so like many, uh, many service members, he's being bullied. He's being uh, being told that he, he he's not faithfully serving his country. Uh, and, and as I said, it's really the ultimate insult to someone who's given so much. Why do you think the Biden administration is taking this hardline position? Obviously, there are uh, deep differences of opinion about the vaccine and in its and its helpfulness and the appropriateness of forcing people to take it. Why is the administration not willing to say, well, um, this is a condition of employment. And if you don't want it, then you're going to have to uh, move on. Um, but we're not going to try to punish you. Why do they insist on the dishonorable discharge, do you think? Well, that's a great question. I think the best that can be said is that this administration just can't help itself. It wants to control and it wants to to signal its uh, you know its its compliance or its uh, its support for these these vaccines. Uh, but I think worse than that, uh, there's some attempt, some incentive, or, or some desire uh, to purge the military, to purge uh, some large employers uh, of people who would who would assert their individual liberties, of people who who still believe that. This country is founded on individual liberties and that our rights come from God and not from the government and, and not from our employers. Uh, so it could be a combination of things, but whatever the reason is, it's wrong. Uh, and, and these service members deserve our help uh, and certainly our prayers and support. I understand that you at Liberty Council are receiving hundreds, if not thousands of phone calls from some from service members in similar situations. Uh, what are you hearing from them and what are you telling them? 
Well, what we hear from them is they're very concerned about losing the job that they love. Uh, and what we hear from them is that many of them are being discouraged from even asserting their rights to a religious exemption, which, which they absolutely have. Uh, what we're doing is we're trying to help them get through the process by giving them resources, helping them to articulate their religious beliefs, uh, and helping them to identify uh, the path to getting that exemption where possible. Um, many of these service members, as you pointed out, are, are already up against their, their discharge. Uh, and so we are trying to help as many as we can. And, uh, and just to give you a preview of one of the, the many lawsuits that we're considering uh, and may file very soon would be against the Department of Defense uh, to, to counteract this unlawful policy. Now, talking for, to uh, Roger Bannum from Liberty Council. Roger, do you think the religious exemption argument is the best one, or are there other legal arguments that are likely to succeed in court? Well, the religious exemption argument is the one we're primarily concerned with because because that's our ministry. That's our mission is to protect people's sincerely held religious beliefs. Uh, but candidly, every American should be opposed to any kind of shot mandate from the government uh, just based on our, our fundamental right to, to bodily autonomy, our, our due process rights. Uh, and at least one court uh, in the state of Florida has, has now recognized this, that you don't have to have a religious exemption. You can simply have a, a, an objection to the government overstepping its authority and requiring a person to to put something into their body that they don't want. Uh, And that due process argument, uh, it is effective. I think it's a right argument. uh, And I wish more courts would accept it uh, so that it doesn't have to be couched in terms of the the religious versus the non-religious. This is a basic fundamental uh, liberty right that every American possesses. And it's a basic fundamental liberty, right, that we are going to continue to debate. Roger Bannum, Liberty Council, we are out of time, but really appreciate you being with us today. Thanks so much. Thanks again for having me. And, and there is some breaking news on this subject just this afternoon because uh, Governor Gavin Newsom from California has said that starting perhaps in 2022, in order to be in public schools in California, you are going to have to get vaccinated. So, folks, this debate is just warming up. But coming up after the break, uh, one question that many on the abortion side are avoiding an answer because of what it would mean. A lot going on in Washington, D.C. on that. We're going to talk to David Clausen after the break about the worldview around the abortion issue. Stay with Are you a university student? Do you know a university student? Specifically, one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to influence public policy and culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15-week internship program that prepares and equips students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview trainings, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns will have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls them. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving interns the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. Is real biblical masculinity lost forever? In this culture of gender confusion, there are too few examples of godly manhood. So where can men, husbands, and fathers find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength in this culture? Try our Stand Courageous Men's Ministry. 
we seek to help men develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. We invite you to join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who struggle with the same issues you do and will invest in unpacking our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can have a generational influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With tech censorship on the rise, we've increasingly seen the cancellation of conservatives and Christians. At Family Research Council, we want to be proactive about making sure big tech doesn't completely silence us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, if we are canceled, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone by signing up for our text alerts. Just text STAND to 67742. Again, text STAND to 67742, and FRC will send you special alerts on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for what's right and keep you connected with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony today. President Biden has positioned himself as the most pro-abortion president in U.S. history, and the rest of his party is following suit, with a few exceptions like Senator Joe Manchin, as we just highlighted earlier in the show. And so extreme is the left on the issue of abortion that they are reluctant to ever acknowledge the humanity of an unborn baby, even when the mother wants to keep the baby. Listen to this exchange that took place between Congressman Ralph Norman and a witness just yesterday in the House Committee on Oversight and Reform. Mrs. Easy, uh, you're familiar with if somebody is, is accused of a double homicide, uh, killing a mother while she's pregnant. Are you in favor of redoing those laws where that, I mean, if, if you're in favor of abortion, is if the killing of a child and a mother is a double homicide, would you change the laws in the state? I'm in favor of everyone having equitable and fair access to health care, which I believe abortion is. I'm talking about double homicide. Should that be changed? Again, I believe that abortion is health care, and I just don't see it the way that you do. What's your definition of homicide? I said I don't see abortion as homicide. I see abortion as health care. So, and for me, um, there can be no limits on health care. There can't be any circumstances, restrictions. Health care should always be free, equitable, and everybody should have access to yeah, But you're not answering my question. If, if, if you could take the life of a child, why is it a crime? If you shoot a mother and a child in the womb, why is that, why is that a crime? And do you think the crime ought to be changed so that it's, it's not double homicide? I think what's really important is Th- to focus you, on. I appreciate it. Thank you. You're not answering my question. Joining me now to talk about the worldview implications behind this exchange is David Clausen, who's the director of the Center for Biblical Worldview at Family Research Council. David, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me, Joseph. Now, I know you were able to hear that 
What do you think it means when someone is unwilling to answer a very clear and direct question? Yeah, it it shows, Joseph, uh, what happens when even the most extreme pro-abortion advocates are confronted with just you know, the facts of what an abortion actually is. So that, that activist, um, Mahila Azizi, she's from Texas. She's a, she's an abortion storyteller. And I, I Googled her uh, earlier today, and she actually has a lot to say and is very passionate and very vocal uh, in other contexts. Uh, but when the congressman asked her just very clearly about the double homicide, all of a sudden she had nothing to say. And the reason she had nothing to say is because everyone, including her, uh, knows that we're we're talking about a human being when we're talking about the unborn. And sometimes uh, those tricky little moral details are even unescapable. Do you see that exchange as simply talking point discipline? Because certainly, you know, she's testifying before Congress. Uh, she was in the office over the last week going over questions that they were going to get with staff. And she was told, this is how you need to answer these questions. And on some level, she was just, as they would say, staying on message. Do you think that's what she was doing, just staying on message? Or was there something deeper here, uh, given the question that was being asked? Well, I think she was trying to uh, to stay on message, but she actually kind of let something slip uh, there. She said, abortion is health care, and I believe that there should be no limits for health care. So what she's admitting right there is her position, and this is the, now the official position of the Democrat Party, is that there should be no limits on abortion. Uh, one week ago, Joseph, uh, if anyone doubts where the Democrat Party stands on this, uh, Speaker Pelosi uh, brought to the floor the Women's Health Protection Act, and it passed um, every single Democrat might Minus one voted for a bill uh, that legalized abortion up until the moment of birth. And not only does it legal codify Roe v. Wade, it would, if if this were to be passed by the Senate and signed by the president into law, it would negate every single state level pro-life law on the books, of which there are 500 that have been passed in the last decade. So and even just an exchange like this in a committee is deeply revealing of the, the worldview behind uh, abortion advocacy. And unfortunately, the entire Democratic Party now. I want to uh, I want to get into the details of this bill, but I also want to finish this this conversation that she was having with Congressman Norman. He asked this question about the definition of homicide because he was he was making the point that uh, in most of the country, and I'm not even sure it's not all of the country, if you murder a pregnant woman, you can be accused of two homicides. Why was that a question she was uncomfortable answering? She feels uncomfortable answering it because if she admits uh, that it's a double homicide, uh, she's admitting that the unborn child is a human being. Uh, and as Christians, we would say someone who's made in God's image. And see, that that's the, the language of moral uh, euphemism and obfuscation uh, that the left is forced to use. Because at the end of the day, abortion is simply, if we define the word abortion, it's the intentional killing of an unborn baby. And so this is the language of the left, these euphemisms, uh, this obfuscation, this dodge. And they, they have no other option, Joseph, because if, they're, if they were being honest, she'd have to say that she's in favor of the intentional killing of a human being, which is something she doesn't want to say. Right, because that is bad messaging to say, hey, we, we're OK with killing kids as long as that kid is uh, not wanted. But that really is the basis of their message. And they don't want to get into the conversation. They don't want to ask those 
questions. But I think in fairness, as we talk about just worldview broadly, and we're saying what her worldview is, that this is not the only scenario in which people are afraid to ask questions or answer questions. They're afraid to confront the, the standards that they are proposing for the rest of the world. And I think what she's doing here is essentially saying, I don't want to think about that hmm. because I'm unwilling to consider or reconsider whether the things that I say are true actually are true. And your questions are asking me to reconsider those things. That's something I'm not willing to do. Isn't that a bipartisan problem and really just a human problem where people on both sides of certainly political discussions, but even philosophical questions about what is true ultimately in our lives? Um, what should we be doing when we face a moment where there are questions we simply don't want to answer? Yeah, and I think as Christians, you know, one of the things that should define us as a people is that we are people who speak the truth. We are people of truth. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So, you know, as as Christians, you know, we're people who shouldn't be afraid or ashamed of talking clearly, of talking uh, directly uh, about the moral issues we we face. And there are a lot of moral issues we face. Some of them are tricky. Uh, Some of them require uh, multi-levels of conversation. The issue of human life shouldn't be one of them, but I think one of the things that's helpful about even seeing this exchange and even really the whole hearing that took place the other day is this kind of this hedging and this dodging that takes place because people don't like to have these frank conversations uh, when it comes to the issue of abortion. I think that's exactly right, but I think it's a it's a teachable moment for all of us um, that we need to care more about the truth than a an opinion that we have at the moment. And when we reach those moments where we are we we get angry about questions that are asked because we don't like the implications of those questions, where there are questions that we are unwilling to answer, uh, facts that we are unwilling to consider. That may mean that we are more interested in our particular position or our opinion than we are in the truth. And as Christians, we can't ever be there. If we are truly truth seekers, that means we're never afraid of information. It means we're never afraid of questions because we're always trying to find out if we're wrong about something, because ultimately the goal is not to defend our, our current position, but to make sure that our current position is as consistent with truth as it can be. Now, David, there's another exchange that I want to get into here. Um, this was with Congresswoman Ra- Rashida Tlaib against a pro-life witness. The accusation is made that pro-lifers aren't really pro-life because they don't rally behind Black Lives Matter. I want to play that clip and then get your response to that as well. When? When are we going to actually call this out for what it is? No, this is about controlling women in our country, period. Stop pretending it's anything but. I want to know, you know, Dr. Scott, like, honestly, what are you doing about infant mortality rate among black children? Have you testified in a committee about it? Thank thank you for your question. I'm very interested in the topic. I have applied to be a member of the Texas um, Maternal Morbidity and Mortality Committee three times. I have not been accepted. Mm -hmm. I suspect it may be because of my stance on life. Mm -hmm. But I am... I'm terribly concerned 
by the lack of support that so many of those women have? Yeah, well, the same people that voted for the bill that you are championing today are people that would actually leave them completely homeless and with no safeguards at all. I want you to believe me when I say that to you, because Black Lives Matter should be very much at the forefront in every policy that we ever do in this country. What's your reaction to that, David? Well, I think it's actually deeply ironic. You know, you, you were Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, uh, uh, part of the Congressive Caucus, the Squad. You know, she's really obviously agitated and animated. She's talking to Ingrid Scop, uh, who is a very respected OBGYN in Texas. And, you know, what's really ironic is that uh, one of the things they're talking about is this Texas heartbeat bill, the, the law uh, that was allowed to go into effect a couple of weeks in Texas. Well, by one account, Joseph, I read this morning is 4,500 babies are alive today because that law was allowed to go into effect. And I would, if you look at the statistics, I think the vast majority of those babies are actually uh, minorities, black and brown babies. And so it's just really interesting to see her get all excited and animated about this and saying that Black Lives Matter, you know, needs to be part of our decision making when it comes to policy. And yet she's, again, hedging and dodging and kind of diverting from the main thing that this hearing was all about, which was the abortion issue. And Congresswoman Tlaib there is clearly agitated uh, I don't think she's not just like having a policy discussion. There's something that's deep and emotional and personal uh, for her in this issue. Why do you think that is? I think it just shows, Joseph, you know, back in the 90s, uh, Democrats used to say that they believed abortion should be safe, legal and rare. Nowadays, it doesn't need to be safe. It should be completely uh, legal up to the point of birth and it should be subsidized by the federal government. Abortion, when you and I have talked about this before, it really has become a sacrament of the left. It almost has this religious, spiritual significance. And that's why you see Democrat politicians willing to go on the mat uh, to fight uh, against any sort of pro life law. Uh, again, the, the, the bill they passed last week gets rid of uh, informed consent, waiting period, ultrasound requirements, just common sense laws that protect babies, that make sure women are able to make good informed health care decisions. And yet you see it in this, this congresswoman's outrage and others like her. It, they're, they're guided by this absolute religious-like zeal and commitment to abortion. And I think right under the surface of that, their, their commitment to abortion, in, in my judgment, is part of their desire to be in control of their life. And I think for those who are the most zealous advocates of abortion is they see it as a doorway to autonomy. They see it as a way to solve problems and make sure that nothing is ever, ever going to happen to them that they don't have control over that they can't fix. And I think that that in, in part explains the emotional response response we see from Congresswoman Tlaib. But I want to ask you the, a question about the accusation that she made uh, for you, David, as a pro-lifer, as an outspoken pro-lifer and also a white male, which, of course, makes you a, a uh, suspect person uh, already. Is this really just your desire to control her body? No, absolutely not. Uh, and, and every Christian would should tell you, uh, you know, our concern for the unborn is because we believe that every single person is made in God's image, uh, born and unborn. Uh, theologians talk about that phrase made in the image of God. At the very least, it means that we are uh, more like God than anything else in creation. So, you know, the whole abortion debate is absolutely framing the conversation the wrong way. I don't want to control anybody's body. All I want to do is protect the bodies of unborn children who are 
are being deprived their fundamental right to life uh, because this country is one of only seven countries that allows abortion after 12 weeks. You know, people around this country look at us like we're barbaric. Uh, you know, the, the Western world with our rights and our liberties, but we're one of only seven countries, including North Korea and China, that allows abortion after 20 weeks. And so, no, the, the pro-life movement is animated by love uh, for all people, mothers and children, and that we can't let uh, the left hijack this conversation to be about something that it's not. David, I think one of the reasons as well that they are so agitated on the issue of abortion right now is because of what happened in Texas with this heartbeat bill going to effect and because of the Dobbs decision, uh, the Dobbs case that is going to be heard in front of the Supreme Court. Tell us why that case is important and tell us about the resources that have come together to help the church really rally around this. Yeah, so the Dobbs case, it's a 15-week abortion uh, ban coming out of the state of Mississippi. Uh, Oral arguments are set for December the 1st and Joseph, this is, we've talked about it before, this is a once-in-a-generation opportunity to overturn Roe v. Wade. And so actually, uh, FRC, we're part of a, a multi-group, multi-denomination effort uh, with Alliance Defending Freedom, uh, the United States uh, Council of Ca- Conference of Catholic Bishops, and we're putting together actually an event to bring pastors together uh, to begin uh, learning about this issue so they can get equipped to inform their congregations. Uh, all this information actually is available uh, at PrayForDobbs.com, uh, PrayForDobbs.com, where you can learn. Uh, and if you're a pastor watching this show or, or you, you have a pastor uh, and you want them to be a part of this, you can just go to PrayForDobbs.com and sign up for this webinar and learn more about uh, this case and why it's so significant. PrayForDobbs.com, it is potentially a landmark case And the entire church should be praying because ultimately uh, we know that this is a spiritual battle and not purely a political one. But David Clawson, we appreciate your time as always and coming to enlighten us today. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Joseph. And that's the program for today, folks. And we, again, want to commend to you, PrayForDobbs.com, where you can go learn how to pray, how to get involved on the Dobbs decision, um, because the life issue implicates worldview, it implicates the spiritual war we're in, and it implicates the value of each life, which we all care about. Folks, look forward to seeing you next time here on Washington Watch. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 